Um, in 2020, it's easy to take technology for granted. I remember as a guy in my early 20s, uh, traveling around, I was going to a Bible school down in Washington, D.C., and uh, whenever you would have to make these trips, me being from the Maritimes, you know, it's quite a hike, you'd have to get out the trusty atlas. How many of you remember getting the big old atlas out, right? All the different pages, and you're, you want to get the ones with the coils, you could fold it over and actually keep it there, right, and, and, and where it needed to be, and you would mark the routes ahead of time with a highlighter, because it's no time while you're on the road to try to be figuring that out. You've got to have it all charted out ahead of time. You took note of all of the toll highways and tried to steer around those, and you just hoped that you didn't run into traffic or construction when you were going, because you had no idea until you were on the road. Then, when I was in my 30s, they came out with this thing called MapQuest. Who remembers MapQuest? I was like, yes, this is the best thing ever, right? You could actually go chart out your course, print out those sheets. You remember printing those sheets out on your little inkjet printer at home? And you would be able to follow that route, right, just using the instructions. You didn't have to have the atlas out in front of you. You just kind of like, wow, I just have to follow these steps, look for these signs after this many kilometers, and we're all good to go. And so that was great. It saved money on maps. It helped you choose either the fastest route or the easiest route, right? You could kind of choose which way you wanted to go that way. Um, no more bulky atlas. I remember using the MapQuest sheets like that when my... Uh, we would take our kids down to Florida on our road trips every March break to see my parents. That was what we used. It was the MapQuest maps. I love those things. It was great. But then, guys, then came GPS, right? The GPS. It was magical. Literally, we thought it was magic. We're like, what's in this box? How does it know every map in North America, every road, right? It would tell you every time that you're supposed to turn. It was this incredible thing. But, of course, no technology is quite idiot-proof, and sometimes the old GPS, it can lead you astray, case in point. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 it means bear right. No, up there. it said right, it said take a right. No, 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 look, it, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight, it said go to the right. It can't mean that, there's look, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's up yelling. yelling. There's no here. Remain calm, I have trained for this. Okay, exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Leighton. Any Office fans out there? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. That clip is just priceless, of course. Um, so the GPS, you know, it's, it's not quite idiot-proof, but boy, it made life easier, didn't it? Um, how many of you have, let's be honest, how many have ever been led astray by the GPS? Yeah. When we're honest, we're like, yeah, we've all not quite done that, hopefully, but... Um, you know, right around the time that the GPS became really popular and everybody started buying stock in companies like Garmin, then what happened? It all went to the cell phone, right? Apple, other companies started giving them for free on your phone. I can imagine the people at Garmin, they nearly lost their minds. Well, these ones are even better than ever. Apps like Waze can even reroute you on the fly, right? When there's traffic, it will steer you around and get you to where you need to go the fastest way possible. 
But before it went to the cell phone, everyone got used to hearing that Siri voice from their GPS whenever we got off course. She would announce in her famous robotic voice, what was the word? Recalculating, right? And, and you get used to hearing that. And if it was a, a bad driver, right, it was like you're hearing this all of the time. Well, recalculating, that's what this series is all about that we're starting up today. You see, when we start out in life, we've all ha- we all have plans. We may not um, write them down, but somewhere in our minds, we have these big hopes and these big dreams of what we think our life should be and how it's going to turn out. We have a vision for our life, maybe even for the life of the family that we're going to have and how we expect things should go. But the hard truth is that sometimes things don't always turn out the way that we expect. And so in those times, you know, we come up against roadblocks that force us to sort of take a different route than we are anticipating. We have to take detours. And these detours take us into places that are unfamiliar and oftentimes not easy. We've all done this in our life. We're like, I was going this way, but then all of a sudden this thing came along and now we have to reroute. Well, it's not necessarily hopefully into a lake, (laughs) but, you know, sometimes we get into some difficult places. And Recalculating is a six-part series that we're really overdue in teaching here at Renew Church because detours are a big reality for a lot of us. So we're going to dive into these detours during this series in an in an attempt to not only destigmatize certain things that people are wrestling through in their life, but also to help us just encourage people that are going through these detours, people that are taking the scenic route. That's what we're going to call it during this series, right? You know what it's like to take the scenic route? Um, it's kind of a way to put a positive spin on it. But whether it's divorce, blended family dynamics, being married to someone who isn't in the same place as you are spiritually, having a child with disabilities, navigating adoption, or finding encouragement in the face of things like infertility and miscarriage. We're going to cover all of this stuff during this series. So there's some pretty powerful topics here, powerful and sensitive realities that impact everybody, either directly or indirectly. If we're not impacted by these things, we know people that are. We have family members that are. And we need to learn how to navigate these things properly. You may not be able to personally relate to all of the six topics we're going to be covering, but part of our responsibility as believers, you know, it really is, the New Testament tells us that we have to learn as believers how to empathize with people, and we need to learn how to encourage people. That's our responsibility as Christian brothers and sisters toward one another. And so we need to really tune in during this series and learn what we can learn. Life is long, and it's unpredictable, and some of us, even though we may not be facing these detours quite yet, we may still face some of them as we go along life's road. So it's good for all of us to become more familiar. Our goal each week is going to be to help you understand the reality of the detour. So we're going to talk about the reality each week. What's the reality of being on this detour? The tough challenges that this detour entails. And we're actually going to have pastors that have personal experience with each of these topics speak each week. So you're going to actually have some guest speakers here in Meadowvale and uh, over the, uh, at the different campuses, you're going to see different faces throughout this series, and I think you're going to appreciate that. We're also going to see how the Bible addresses each of these detours. The Scripture just has so much good information to give us on how to navigate these detours. And best of all, because our God is the great Redeemer, we're going to see how God can actually take a bad situation and make it into something wonderful, and that He can redeem it. He can take stuff that we thought was just negative and turn it into something incredibly positive, and good. One story, you know, that we'll share 
just to start it all off, was that story that we find in the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph, who, you know, at a certain point was actually sold into slavery by his own brothers, right? They were jealous and they ganged up on him and they threw him in this pit. And when some slave traders came by, they sold him into slavery down in Egypt. And we know from the story that God actually used that to allow Joseph in turn to rescue his entire family from this great famine that was coming. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says, after he sees everything in perspective, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so we see that God is a redeemer. And as believers in Christ, we believe in redemption. We've seen what he can do in our life. So we want to highlight the power of redemption in this series and celebrate the way that God is using our detours to make us better. Sound good? That's what we're going to do through this series. So we're going to start this week in week one, talking about the unequal yoke. This is one of the detours that comes up in our lives, and it's my privilege to begin this series with this classic detour, the unequal yoke. Maybe this is a new term for you. This is not when you crack an egg in a frying pan and it looks funny. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a different kind of yoke. The term comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now that word Belial is like a personification for for evil, for wickedness in the Bible. And in this passage, Paul, if you were to look at this whole passage, Paul is addressing the Corinthian believers who are being wooed by false teachers and unbelievers and saying, you need to be very careful because these people are going to pull your heart in a different direction until you're abandoning your faith, until you're abandoning Christ. And so note here, when he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, he is not saying that we shouldn't be friends with people who are not believers. That is not at all what he's saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't open our homes up to them, not at all. In many other places, he talks about the need for us to do that. Um, if we were to actually look at the word here, to be unequally yoked, it's one word, heterozugeo in Greek. Hetero, you know, we know that term. We use that in English. It means different. And then the zugeo is from the word for yoke. And the yoke is just that thing that they would use to put, you know, animals like, you know, oxen. We used to watch this where I grew up. Ox pull, big, big event. You guys love, yeah, no, <laughs> where I grew up, that's what you did for fun, right? So, you know, the oxen would be in the yoke and they'd be bound together and they would pull weight together, right? It's this sort of, you know, dynamic of being bound to another individual. And so Paul seems to be addressing situations where we're bound to other people, particularly in contracts. Some would say that this would include things like business partnerships. Some may not quite see it that way. It's not uh, exact because we're working with a metaphor here. But virtually everyone believes that it applies to the closest relationship of all, and that is the marriage relationship. So when we talk about being unequally yoked, of all the things that it could mean, we're pretty sure that this idea of marrying an unbeliever, if you are a believer, that this falls into the category. And that's the focus that we're going to look at here for this recalculating series. Let's start by looking at the reality. What, what does this mean, this whole thing of being unequally yoked? Well, I can tell you, in close to 30 years of ministry, I can honestly say that one of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I see brothers and sisters in my church that are wrestling through this. 
right? That they're in a situation where they're unequally yoked with someone. And I just, I, I feel the, the challenges. I understand the challenges. I've counseled with so many people over the years that are in this situation. And I, I, under, I get it. I, I'm not living it personally, but I, I empathize pretty well and I understand the challenges that people are going through. This happens in a few different ways, right? One of the ways is that two people get married and only one of them is the believer from the get-go. And so then they, they move forward. Maybe one was hoping the other would become a believer, but they don't. And it just sort of keeps going that way. You have the scenario where two people get married um, and one becomes a believer, right? They're, both are unbelievers when they start, but then one becomes a believer. And now you have an unequally yoked situation. Um, sometimes you have it where two believers get married, but one of them drifts away from the Lord. And maybe they still are in the faith, but they're not living that way, and so the other one feels alone in that. And so these are different scenarios that present us with this unequal yoke. Now, when it, you know, when it comes to a believer, you know, some, or someone becoming a believer after marriage, obviously um, you can't fault them for that situation of becoming in an unequal yoke, but we do want to encourage our young people here at Renew to consider the challenges of the unequal yoke when it comes to even their dating practices. And we really work on our young people in this to help them see, listen, if you're a believer, you want to be marrying a believer. Right? This is very important. Um, of course, you know, they may still face challenges, um, but they may even you know, end up divorcing that, their partner someday. That does happen, but the reality is that they will be marrying someone who shares at least the same faith, the same worldview. It gives you some great advantages and allows you to share, you know, a certain experience and intimacy with that person that you wouldn't have normally. Well, we're going to get into some of the challenges that the unequal yoke presents in just a minute, but I want to share a few stats that I was able to find. And uh, as you can imagine, finding statistics on this is actually quite difficult because you're talking about something that's um, very... Uh, unstudied typically. It is something that happens within churches. It's also something that you don't really know how it plays out unless you measure large spans of time. But there were actually three different studies that were done. They were small, but, but big enough studies to give us uh, some good information that were done between actually way back from 1958 to 2010 in three different areas, in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, and also in Kentucky. The first one was done in 1958 to 77 then 1962 to 81, and then the most recent from 1989 to 2010. So by the time you get to the last one, it's, you know, fairly recent. In each study, 70-plus Christian youth who married non-Christians were tracked. And these are the results that we saw um, from this study. So for the one that married uh, the unbeliever, um, 55%. 73% and 85%. What we learn is that youth are increasingly marrying non-Christians. So as time went on, right, it became more and more prevalent. Um, we also see the vast majority of our youth who marry non-Christians leave the faith. And so you could see um, the ones that left the faith, 72% of them did. If they married an unbeliever, they themselves as a believer ended up leaving the faith. 72%, 80 and then 75%, pretty consistently around three-quarters or more that left the faith when they married an unbeliever. Divorce rates for the youth that married believers were lower. You can see if you married a believer, the divorce rate was 3%, then 14%, then 23%. So it's climbing because divorce has become more accepted and prevalent over the years. But it still was lower than the divorce rate of those that married unbelievers. Those that married an unbeliever and had that unequal yoke, the divorce rates were much higher, usually around 
a third of the time that was happening. And then how many were actually successful at converting their spouse? Well, as you can see, not very many. Not many. So the statistics are helpful at least to see some patterns that tend to happen um, in spiritually mismatched marriages. Basically, what we're saying here is there's a much greater likelihood that the believer will follow the unbeliever and give up in their faith, that there's a much greater likelihood that the couple will end up divorced, and we also see that few believers are ever able to convert their spouse to their faith. So it's kind of sad statistics, but it's the reality of the situation. And so young or unmarried people, I want to just challenge you, really give thought to this whether it's your first marriage, second, or more, like, give thought to this. It's very important if you are a believer to marry someone who is in the faith. And we teach on this in Maverick Youth. We're, we're doing a series right now on sexuality and gender. We'll be talking about dating and what dating is for. It's to see if someone's compatible to be a spouse. And if not, move on. And so I would encourage you in the same way. You know, if God is the most important part of your life, Make sure that you date people who feel the same way, right? It only makes sense. This is such a big part of who you are and of your life. It just doesn't make sense to marry someone that doesn't see it that way. So let me give you a little warning. Just because someone says that they are a believer doesn't mean that they are a good spiritual match for you. Make note of that. That's important. You see, two Christians can be somewhat unequally yoked as well. This isn't just a a kind of a black and white thing. I've known uh, marriages where there was a believer who was very strong and very passionate and one who was just kind of disinterested, kind of indifferent, right? They would both say that they were believers, but there's still kind of a mismatch there. And that can be very frustrating as well for the one partner who really wants to move forward for God, really be involved in their church, really, you know, serve other people, open up their home. And the other one's just kind of like, eh, not really feeling that. Guys, the bottom line is this. God wants you to enjoy the greatest degree of intimacy possible with your spouse. This is why you have a married partner. So you can enjoy that kind of intimacy, that sort of partnership. And he wants you to be able to share your deepest thoughts and your deepest dreams and your greatest passions with one another. In Amos chapter 3, it says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? It's a great rhetorical question. How do two people walk together, especially in a long-term relationship, unless they are in agreement on some things. And your faith is the deepest part of your being. Think of the terms that the Bible uses to describe, you know, what part of our being we're talking about here. We're talking about, we we talk about our heart, we talk about our soul. This is where our faith resides. You want to be sharing that with somebody. It's very important. Well, I want to talk about some realities that mismatched Christians face. And it's important for everyone to understand. If you're living it, you you understand these things already. But it's important for all of us because we want to empathize, we want to encourage. So I want you to understand where people are at with this. And the first thing that a lot of people experience is guilt. Sometimes young Christians just don't know better. Or, like we said, sometimes the mismatch happens afterward because one becomes a believer. There's nothing we can do about you know, those types of situations. Some people still feel guilt in those situations, even though they shouldn't. Like, that's false guilt for sure. But the truth is, sometimes Christians were warned, and they just didn't heed the warnings, right? Love was strong at that time, or their their mind was made up, whatever it is. 
And so besides facing various challenges, they carry the guilt of their decision. And I can tell you that in the meetings that I have with many people over the years, that that's a very heavy burden to carry. And a lot of people carry it. They feel like, oh, I made, you know, I made this mistake and I'm, I'm carrying this, this burden. And people ask them at church, so where's your spouse? They see your wedding ring, where's your spouse? Oh, well, you know, they don't come to church. And it's kind of one of these things that just sort of is a constant reminder to them. And it's a very difficult thing. Now, obviously, no one wants to admit that, you know, marrying their partner whom they love was a mistake. I actually have a personal connection to the whole unequal yoke thing. And that's probably why I'm so passionate about it. Um, The unequal yoke was actually a really big factor in my life. And you say, what? Really? How? Let me explain. As a kid, my mom was a believer, and my dad was not. And that was the world that I was born into. That was the young life that I experienced. But fortunately, most of my memories um, came afterward. But the single biggest determining factor of the course of my life happened when I was four years old. You think of all of the things that changed the course of your life, all of the big decisions that you make, all of these things. I can actually look at my life and tell you with all confidence the biggest thing that changed the course of my life happened when I was four and I had nothing to do with it. And it was the day that my dad accepted Christ as his Savior. It changed everything, the whole trajectory of my life. Talk about a positive sort of detour. I can't even imagine how my life would be different today. And as I get older, when I'm talking with my dad, I thank him for two things. First of all, for marrying my mom after he got her pregnant, which he should have done anyway, but not everyone does, and he did. So I thank him for that. And then secondly, for accepting Christ as his Savior. Because I can tell you this, guys, right now, this is a fact I would not be your pastor today if that never happened. I wouldn't. And so I look back and I say, wow, that decision my dad made when I was four years old was huge. And it's all about this unequal yoke stuff that we're talking about. I also thank my mom for not giving up on dad. But here's the deal. My mom was a lucky one, right? And she knows it. If you were to talk to her, she'd tell you, I got lucky. Because she knows a lot of people in the unequal yoke situation. And she knows that she got lucky. When I got old enough to understand how dad came to Christ later and learned about what the Bible says about being unequally yoked, being the young theologian that I was, I I wanted to know. And so I asked my mom, pretty point blank, as kids are wont to do with their parents, I said, Mom, did you make a mistake marrying dad? And I actually really liked her answer And I could tell that she had given some thought to it. She said, no, I believe that I was meant to be with him. I just didn't wait for God's timing. I thought, hmm, that's a pretty good answer. But mom knows that she was a lucky one. And she is sensitive. I think that's where I get my sensitive side. And I know that she could have lived with a lot of regret. In fact, as I shared, she, you know, getting pregnant before being married... This is how my mom is. She's always been this way. She's very um, justice kind of oriented and wants to do what's right. She chose to wear a blue dress at her wedding because she didn't see herself as being pure and deserving a white dress. So I can just imagine the guilt that she would have carried 
moving forward had she lived in an unequal yoke for the rest of her life. Now, I really respect my mom, but when I hear that blue dress story, like, it breaks my heart, right? Listen, guys. Some of you are living in the unequal yoke, and I want you to know you have enough special challenges that you don't need to be encumbered with guilt. You don't need it. You need to let go of it, okay? Because I know there are a lot of people that just carry that, and they carry it. What's in the past is in the past. And I know you've asked God for forgiveness a hundred times over, and He's forgiven you. He forgave you a long time ago, and no one's holding this over you. At Renew Church, you know what? We're not about the past. We're about the present, and we're about the future. We're new faith, new focus, new frontiers. We're looking at what God wants to do in our life moving forward. We're all sinners with different junk, and we don't judge you because we've all got our own junk. But here's the deal. Guys, there are no blue dress Christians at Renew, okay? There's none. In Psalm 103, look at what it says. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so if you are spiritually unmatched and if you are wrestling with guilt, whether you are or not, we're here to love you and to support you unconditionally at Renew Church. Okay? We want you to know that. The second reality for a lot of unequally yoked people, something that they face, is this possibility of opposition. I've counseled so many people, and typically women over the years, not always, but more often women, because women are rich in faith and often you know, move into faith quicker than their husbands. And if you've never been in this situation, you may be oblivious to the challenges of being a spouse that has an unbelieving spouse, but boy, it can be very, very difficult, depending on how difficult the other one wants to make it for you, especially. Believing spouses can face opposition. Um, They can be hostile. The other spouse can be hostile in regard to their faith. The unbelieving spouse can, you know, not let them come to church or really make it difficult for them. Not let them talk about God at home. They can tell them that they don't want them reading the Bible at home. They can say, I don't want you sharing your faith with our kids. Think about that. If you've never put yourself in someone's shoes, just to to feel that you didn't even have the freedom to share what's most precious to you with your own children, that's hard stuff, guys. And then, a lot of times, just the indifference that the other partner has toward your faith in God. It's painful. And even if that last one is the only one that's true for you, it's still painful. And we need to help bear one another's burdens in these things. We need to see those that are wrestling with that kind of a situation. We need to encourage them. Well, the third one, and this is a big one too, it's loneliness. Now, it's not the same as being single, but I know sometimes single people think that their loneliness is is the only loneliness. There are a lot of forms of loneliness, guys. And I can tell you the unequal yoke is a big form of loneliness for a lot of people. Because there's this whole area of faith, this big area in their heart and in their soul that's so important that they can't share with somebody else, that intimacy just cannot enter. And not being able to share what God is doing in your heart, what God is teaching you in your life, the way that the Spirit is guiding you, 
all of these things, to not be able to share them with the person that you're closest with, that's, that's lonely. It's really lonely. Not being able to share spiritual truth with them. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So you, ha- you have spiritual truth. You have light when you are a believer, and you, the Holy Spirit is working in you. And you have, you know, knowledge and understanding of certain things, but your partner doesn't have it. And you would like to talk about these spiritual things, and even if they're open to, to listening to you, they can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. It, they, it's like having a, a radio, and you have a receiver, and you're sending that to someone else with no receiver. They have no way of getting that information, that message, because the Holy Spirit's not alive in them. And it's a sad situation. It can leave you feeling very lonely. So let's all be aware that our brothers and sisters who happen to be in this situation are like our single brothers and sisters. We need to make more of an effort to include them and to draw them into community. We don't always have, they don't always have the same natural community that you may have in your situation. Well, the other thing we want to look at is revelation. We want to see what the Bible has to say about each of these topics that we're covering. So let's look at some biblical advice that relates to the unequal yoke. We've already seen some of the warnings for those who aren't yet bound by marriage, but let's look at some more things for those that are in the unequal yoke situation. The first one is this, stay in the marriage, all right? It says in 1 Corinthians 7, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And this is a general principle that we want to encourage you in. If you're in this situation, stay in the marriage. This is important. Marriage is one of these, you know, common graces that God gives to mankind. It's not just a church thing. It's not just a Christian thing. It's something that God provides so that we have this union, so that children can grow up in a union. It's, it's much more healthy for them, right? This is something that God gives to everybody, whether you're a Christian or not. And he says, stay in it. Yeah, it, it may be a mismatch. There may be difficulties that you face there, but it's better if you stay in the marriage. The second thing that we see is that the Bible says to stay optimistic. The very next verse there in Corinthians says, For the believing hus- unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, we know that the decision to follow Jesus is personal, right? So we know that this verse here is not saying when you sanctify your unbelieving spouse that you're you know, making some kind of a decision for them. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying by staying in the relationship, you actually have the opportunity to have your life impact the other person. And we've seen situations where that person does come to faith. They end up being sanctified through your influence. Moreover, it says that it's better for the kids. It gives them more of an opportunity as well to grow up and to be sanctified and to grow up in a house that respects and loves God. It's going to be tougher if it's only one But staying in that relationship is the better scenario, is what God's telling us. The third piece of information we get, and this is from 1 Peter 3, is to be a patient example. This one's addressed to wives, but it would work both ways. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And so believing spouses have an opportunity here. This is what it's saying. You have an opportunity to be this patient example of what a Christian should be like to your unbelieving spouse. 
But it takes godly behavior to have that sort of impact that you want to have. And it's difficult. So let me give you some specific things that I've seen over and over that really help in this situation. Okay? And these, these are in keeping with what the Bible is saying. The first piece of advice to, unbelieving, uh, to uh, spouses with unbelieving, this is actually should be to believing spouses. Sorry, wrong word. Believing spouses who have unbelieving spouses. First of all, be chill. Right? Chill out. I know it can be stressful. But you notice the passage there, it said that they could be won over without words, Peter says. Now, it's not saying that you should never share your faith or never be verbal. It's just saying you want to be, be leaning on your life here. Just let your life speak to your spouse over time. Just be chill, relax. The second one is to be authentic. All right? So not only do we want to be chill and not like just come down heavy on them and start like, you know, you need to read this, right? Like, you want to be chill, but then you also want to be authentic. Don't deny who you really are. You're now a child of God, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Let them see how you're growing, but also let them see your weaknesses, and let them see your doubts that you have. That's okay. I can tell you right now, a holier-than-thou approach never works. It never works. You will drive your spouse away every time. So be chill, be authentic. The third one, be winsome. You know what? Turn up the heat on things that you actually enjoy doing together. Your faith should not pull you away from your unbelieving spouse. It should actually push you toward them. That's really what your faith should do. You should recognize, I'm the Christian in this situation. I'm the one that needs to, you know, be the bigger person. I'm the one that needs to change the most. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. They don't. And so I need to be the one that takes the responsibility to make this into something good. And see the opportunity that you have to work on yourself. I've studied a lot of this. I've seen a lot of people in this situation. I've watched a lot of videos and read a lot of books on this. And one of the themes that you will see over and over again with people that have success is that they say, I turned the focus off of the other person and changing them onto myself and changing me. It is a huge theme that you will see. And when they focused on changing themselves, great things started to happen. And this is a huge theme for those that have experience with this. Stop focusing on the other person, and you work at becoming more loving, more self-sacrificing, more attentive, and watch and see what happens. The last one, number four, is be patient. In Galatians 9, or 6, 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's a general principle, and it definitely applies in this situation. I know spouses who have been waiting for decades to see their spouse come to faith. Don't give up. Don't give up. You think, oh, that ship has sailed. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. You do not know. I've seen spouses after many years have a change of heart. You do not know, and so do not give up. Keep living out your faith. Keep praying. Keep on praying. Well, the last thing that we want to talk about in each of these messages is the whole idea of redemption. Some of you took the Case for Christ class in our last weekend workshops, and I heard that it was a good turnout and that people really appreciated that class. Uh, If you know anything about that class, it is led by uh, a gentleman named Lee Strobel, who is a popular author. But what a lot of people don't know is that, uh, I guess he tells it in the Case for Christ story as it becomes part of his story that he shares, is that he and his wife Leslie were actually part of an unequal yoke. So as the story goes... 
years ago, um, Lee was a budding journalist, an atheist. His wife somehow got connected with some Christian people and started going to their church and their small group and eventually became a Christian. Goes home and lets him know, and he is not at all happy about this. He is a committed atheist. He is not happy. He's thinking about all of the ways that this is going to destroy their relationship. He, he thought for sure that they were going to be done because he didn't want to have anything to do with what she was doing. He was not into that church stuff. He didn't want to lose her to all of these other activities that she was going to be doing. He had a plan for his life. And again, this was a, a good detour that kind of came along. Well, you can actually look up their story on YouTube. Uh, Huntley Street did a uh, an interview with them in 2017, but it was pretty cool to see how God redeemed their marriage, right? Leslie was in this unequal yoke situation, and she just decided, I'm going to work on me, I'm going to trust God here, I'm going to be authentic, and I'm going to be honest about things, but I'm not going to push him. And so Lee actually decided, okay, I'm going to, being the journalist that he was, he says, I'm just going to study this out and prove it to be wrong for her. And so as he put in all of the homework and he studied it all out and he went back and looked at all of the historical records as any journalist would do, he followed the same process that he would working at the Chicago Tribune and he discovered that Jesus was real and he gave his life to Christ. So it's an amazing story, um, but it's just an example of the way that God can redeem things. Lee Strobel has become a key apologist for the Christian faith now, uh, a very popular author. And it's an amazing story. Well, guys, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But I want to give you some other ways that God brings redemption to unequal yokes. Because I'm telling you, other than just the person coming to faith, which is what we all hope for, there's other ways that God can redeem this situation. Maybe you haven't considered some of the things that God wants to do through this. First of all, I have seen amazing models of perseverance who were in the unequal yoke. Models of perseverance. This is just an incredible thing that I've seen. People that, through persevering in that area of their life, became perseverant in so many other areas and just became an example to everyone in the church of someone that just, you know, hung on to their faith and pushed through and was courageous. I've seen God use this to make people strong and unmovable. Just this beautiful example to everyone around them. And guys, God can do that for you. He can redeem the situation, and He can make that for you if you're in this situation. The second thing I've seen is that it makes prayer warriors out of a lot of people. I've seen God use this to take a person and turn them into a powerful prayer. As they became someone who started praying for their spouse, that prayer spilled in, into other areas, and they became you know, really committed at praying for other things and other things, and seeing God transform stuff, and sometimes transforming all kinds of things and even though their spouse maybe never got to that point, God was using this to redeem all kinds of other situations, and it was very beautiful. Another thing I've seen is that it really develops authentic faith in people that stick with it. It really does. I've seen God turn a spouse from being sort of a plastic Christian, maybe a fairly shallow Christian, to being someone who was very deep, very authentic in their faith. I, people that learned, I can't just be this, you know, Sunday sort of Christian with my spouse. I need to be a true believer and live out my faith and be authentic and not pretend that I'm something that I'm not because my spouse is going to know it, but to really be authentic in who I am. And I've seen these people just become amazing examples. And then the last one, just having a deep connection to Christ. 
I've seen people find deep fellowship with Christ because the New Testament teaches if you want to have fellowship with Christ, the way that you find it guaranteed is if you enter into suffering for Christ. And boy, this provides a, a daily opportunity to suffer for Christ, to be that example on your own when the other person may be hostile to your faith and for you to hang in there and to persevere, you start to understand Jesus in different ways. You, under, you start to understand what it is to be unappreciated, misunderstood, maligned for the things that you believe. And so it will develop this deep connection. I want to conclude just by saying a couple of things here, guys. Those of you that are in an unequal yoke, put it this way. You are on a detour but here's the deal. You're on the same road with all of us right now, okay? So for whatever reason, God's put you on the same road with all of us, and so we're traveling together. Amen? Is that what we're doing? Wow, that was, that was really encouraging. Are we on the same road together? Amen. We're on the same road together. So for whatever reason, we're on the same path right now. So let's make use of that. Let's encourage each other. And we want you to know that we love you. We support you. You are vital to us, and we need absolutely what you bring to our community. Hang in there. I want to take a second this morning and just pray. Father, I want to pray specifically this morning for our brothers and sisters who are in an unequal yoke situation. How they got there is not important to us. The fact is that they're there and it can be a difficult place to be. And Lord, we, uh, we relate to that this morning and we want them to know that we love them, we encourage them, that we're here for them. This is a detour that can really tear somebody's heart out, really feel them, make them feel alone. And uh, Lord, we want them to know that we're here with them. We're traveling the path together. Lord, we want to pray for those who are in this situation that they would not give up, that they would be perseverant. And we pray for the spouses of those that know you who are still far away from you. And so, Lord, we pray for their salvation. We ask that they would come to know you. Help those who are the believers to be the example that they need to be. Help them to turn their focus off of the things that they don't have and onto the capacity that they do have to live for you, to see that you are the father to the fatherless. You are the spouse of those who do not have that spiritual connection with their own spouse. So help them to appreciate that. Help them to draw close to you. And Lord, we ask that you would redeem this situation in every specific instance, that you would redeem it and turn it into something beautiful, things that we can't even predict. There's so many ways that you can use this. So Lord, we pray your blessing on each of those today and continue to bless our series in Jesus' name.